welcome to the Rabbi Greenberg Show, the podcast that brings Jewish knowledge to you. Joseph returned from the burial of his father Jacob, Joseph and his brothers, and there's a new crisis, a new crisis in the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And this is what the Torah tells us. Joseph's brothers saw that their father had died. And maybe Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the bad things that we did to him. So they fabricated a plan and they instructed messengers to go to Joseph and say, your father instructed us before his death saying, this is what you should say to Joseph. Please, will you now forgive the wrongdoing of your brothers and their sin that they did evil things to you? So please, will you now forgive the wrongdoing of the servants of the God of your father? And when they spoke to him, the messengers, Joseph wept. And then in addition to the messengers, his brothers also personally went to Joseph and they fell down in front of him and said, look, we are your slaves. In other words, they were concerned that Joseph was now going to take revenge. And Joseph said to them, he mollified them, don't be afraid. For am I instead of God? You plan to do bad things to me, but God had intended that it would be for the good in order to make things like they are today, keeping a great number of people alive. So don't be afraid now. I will provide for you and your children. He continued to comfort them and spoke words of encouragement to their hearts. So here you have a very, very painful reality that even though 17 years had passed, since Joseph was reunited with his brothers and the return of Joseph to his father, Jacob now came to live in Egypt. And they seemed that they had a wonderful relationship. And now that Jacob was gone, the brothers were concerned that Joseph was now going to take revenge. What changed? They had such a good relationship before. Why did they now think that Joseph was going to reverse course and take revenge from them? So Rashi anticipated this question, and Rashi answers that when Jacob was alive for those 17 years, they all dined together. Joseph invited his brothers to the same table that he and his father Jacob were dining. As soon as Jacob was gone, now that Joseph and his brothers returned from the burial of Jacob, Joseph no longer invited them to the palace. They were no longer invited to dine with him. Well, that obviously awakened the fears that the brothers had that Joseph was now going to take revenge. After all, for 17 years, they would dine together, most likely because Jacob would have been very upset if they wouldn't have dined together, and they wanted that Jacob should feel that there's unity and there's love between them and there's no longer division and there's no longer hatred. But as soon as Jacob was gone... They felt Joseph didn't have to put on that act anymore, that there's unity amongst them, and that he was now going to take revenge. That's how Rashi explains the dynamic over here. But that raises a, another question. Why did Joseph stop inviting them to his table? Didn't Joseph realize that that would awaken again the fear, the suspicion, that there was going to be a negative experience between his brothers and himself, because he wasn't inviting them anymore? The Midrash, which is the source of Rashi's comment, seems to have addressed this question. And the Midrash gives the following explanation, that Joseph had a problem here. When Jacob was alive, Jacob insisted that Joseph, as the viceroy of Egypt, like a king, 
should sit at the head of the table. Joseph was very uncomfortable because he didn't want to show that he was superior to his brothers. He didn't want to act. True, there was a dream that they would bow down to him, and he knew that that had to come to fruition. Okay, that came to fruition. They bowed down to him, but how much longer does he have to sit at the head of the table, which made him feel uncomfortable? But he had no choice. His father insisted. So because his father insisted, he sat at the head of the table. But now that his father was gone, Joseph felt, what am I going to do? Invite them to my table and not sit at the head of the table? After all, I'm the viceroy. I'm the king. I have no choice. I have to do it. But I felt so uncomfortable doing it, so he felt it would be better to stop inviting them so there would never be this dilemma. He would not have to choose between sitting at the head of the table and risking the ire of his brother's and the discomfort that he himself felt. That's the answer the Midrash gives. Perhaps one could give another simple answer. Joseph was not just a brother of his 11 brothers. He was the viceroy of Egypt, and he was chosen for a specific mission to cater to the needs of the Egyptian people and all the other people from all the other nations that came to purchase food. He was a communal leader, and that was his primary responsibility. As long as there was a famine, he had to devote his entire attention to the needs of the nation and not have time and the luxury for social niceties. Now, when Jacob came, Rashi told us, the famine ceased. Even though only two years of the seven years that were predicted passed, two years of the famine, but as soon as Jacob came, the famine ceased for the entire 17 years that he was alive in Egypt. When, therefore, during those 17 years, Joseph didn't have much to do. He was not really in need of catering to the hunger that prevailed because there was no longer a hunger. But as soon as Jacob passed away, the famine returned in all of its fury. And Joseph had this responsibility this, as a leader to devote all of his attention to saving the nation's that were engulfed by this famine, and especially the people of Egypt itself. So Joseph didn't have the time for social niceties of dining together with his brothers, and that's why he didn't dine with them. But I think there's a deeper explanation, and one that has a relevance to us today in particular. Joseph knew that he and his brothers were represented the first nuclear family that was going to be the beginning of a new nation that will be charged with the responsibility to receive the Torah and to implement the teachings of the Torah to the point where the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of God, the Messianic Age. It was a process that would begin with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was stage number one. Stage number two was Joseph and his brothers. And stage number three would be the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai by the entire Jewish people. That would be, represent the beginning of a process that would lead inexorably towards the coming of Mashiach, the fulfillment of God's master plan for the world. Now, in order to fulfill the mission, two very important things were crucial, two paradoxical things. On one hand, there had to be a recognition that the Jewish people are one people. We are one indivisible people, one Jew is not complete without the other Jew. We are one people. We are one people with one set of patriarchs and matriarchs. 
Every Jew is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. That is a, a unity that is unparalleled and unprecedented. There is no other group of people that share that unity. We have this one unity, this common origin, this common destiny and common purpose and why, why, why we are here. But paradoxically, there's another element to the Jewish people that is indispensable, that we are all different. All the 12 tribes represent different approaches within the overarching approach that we got from the patriarchs and the matriarchs. Joseph knew that as long as Jacob was alive, it was important that they all gather together, they all converge together at the same table under the direction of Jacob and Joseph to fortify this unity to make this unity imbued within each and every Jew, that every Jew recognize that oneness, that unity. But as soon as Jacob passed away, Joseph realized that if he dominates and he invites his brothers to his table, they will all have to mold themselves in his mold. And he says that's not what the purpose of the 12 tribes entails. The purpose of the 12 tribes is to represent different approaches which complement one another. And he wanted to cultivate those differences. Now that 17 years they had this unity under the direction of Jacob, that was enough to instill within them the idea that we are one people. But now was the time to develop their individual personalities and temperaments and talents and, and resources. And therefore, Joseph said, you're all on your own now. Cultivate your own individuality because that's indispensable for the Jewish people. The Jewish people cannot just be a monolithic people. Yes, there, there's unity that underlies all the differences, but there must be these differences as well. We are living now in a time that calls for greater unity, and we've seen as a result of the tragic events of Simchas Torah of October 7th, and the ensuing war, the Jewish people have come together as one people in an unprecedented way. But that doesn't mean that we lose our individuality. We don't lose our individuality. We come to the recognition that our differences are not there to negate one another. Our differences are there to complement one another. And it's this unity and division, the unity within this division, that is the strength of the Jewish people that is unparalleled. There is no other group in the world that has such great unity, and there is no other group in the world that has so much division. But that division, if it doesn't lead to disunity, if it doesn't lead to friction between us, then that division is a very positive phenomenon, and we have to take advantage of our individual talents as long as we recognize the underlying unity, and that will lead us imminently to the coming of Mashiach and the final redemption, when the whole world will bask in the unity of God and appreciate the uniqueness of the Jewish people. And not only will there not be any more anti-Semitism and hatred, but the whole world will recognize how we contribute this unity and the divisions, the positive divisions as well, and they will try to emulate us. That will all happen through our own efforts today. Let us devote ourselves even more to all of the commandments of the Torah, to the study of Torah, and to the beauty and the differences that we share, that we have, and the underlying unity that makes us into one indivisible people.